Hi guys, it's me Sanchi. After a really long time, I know we haven't been uploading, but that's just life. And again, after a really long time, I am here with Ashwini. Hello. And we have with us, and we are honored that we have with us Bernard Schimpelsberger. Hi, Bernard. Hello. Good morning. Good morning. Um, lovely to have you, Bernard. Um, we are very excited for this episode because we have a lot of questions and you are sort of the person we really look forward to talk to because you're passionate about what you do and you're great at it. So <laughs> I'm jazz. So much. Yes, big jazz fans. <laughs> uh, so to begin with, how did you get into music? Um, well, first of all, I'm very happy to be here too, and it's lovely to meet you. And uh, I, I look forward to contributing a few ideas or stories to, to your series and hopefully connecting also with other artists and, and guests that you've had on, on this series so far. Um, about your question, I got into music um, when I was pretty young. My family used to play at home. My dad was playing in a band for weddings, and, and then we, we started to play at home but very casually with instruments. We always had a piano and guitars and little drums. So I kind of started formally when I was seven to play piano because my my family, the, everybody plays piano and it's kind of our family passion because my parents, now they have a piano shop. I mean, for the last 25 years, but when I was young, they just started to have this shop, uh, piano business. Um, and. So when I was seven, I started to play piano, but it didn't last very long. I actually didn't enjoy it very much. And then I started to play drums on my own on the side when I was nine or 10, something like that. And then it really kind of sucked me in. And then I was hooked on music pretty quickly. Okay, so started from the piano, but like now you're a percussionist. So what has your journey been like, you know, from the ivories to the banging? to the sticks yeah well um i think that every instrument corresponds also to our personalities and our characters um i can totally see how some people are drawn to certain instruments and also how certain instruments shape or maybe bring out the characteristics of a person because every instrument has kind of a different role within the musical ensemble let's say when when you play together if you are a saxophone player or a singer you are always taking the lead role in terms of the melody and you're very exposed and you're kind of putting the icing on the cake many times whereas the, the drummer is kind of the engine of, of the car really who has to drive everything and that comes with the difficulty or the challenge of of using your limbs in in very multi-layered ways so whereas let's say a singer has to think about the sound production and how to execute or produce that perfect pitch and tone and tonal quality. Me as a drummer, I have to think about what my right foot is doing, my left foot, my right hand and my left hand. And each of them have to work together. So there's a lot of coordination. And when I was young, my mom tells me that I was very um, sort of hyperactive kid. Now you would probably have a description for that. When 30 years ago, it wasn't, you know, it was just like, oh, he's the teacher just said he can't sit still on the on the chair. Nowadays, you would probably have a diagnosis of hyperactivity. I don't know some symptoms, but um, apparently, after I started playing drums, that really changed, and my whole focus became centered. And I was able to sit on the chair in school and not fall off. So that that's been a good influence of of playing the drums. Wow, that's a really interesting perspective. I never thought of. Um, an orchestra, say, as you know, different layers of um, or different parts of a car. That's a great analog. Um, so, uh, in your journey, I know you've been to several places. Um, one of which was India, uh, and I know you've learned. Um, I don't know if you're the only person in the world who's learned to play uh, the tabla, but on the drums. That's a very interesting skill. So can you tell us something about your experience? Sure. I mean, I, let me start off by saying I'm not the only person in the world, but yes, there is only a very few people 
um, because you could say that studying another culture, it doesn't matter whether you go to India or Africa or to Cuba or Brazil, you know, you, you're coming from your own culture, you go somewhere else and you, you start to learn and then there's a long process of learning and it depends how long you stay and how deep you go and how many sort of connections you make not just I'm not talking about business connections but socially culturally you know how much you get really into this culture and where there is a lot of people who are fascinated with Indian rhythm it is true that there is only a few in the world who actually spend a long time dedicated to it Westerners Europeans Americans um, and each has his own journey in a way there is many people who got fascinated with playing the tabla but who were maybe playing the Western drums and then they start to play the tabla and they have been playing the tabla all their life but then they of course get influenced and they translate the rhythms of the tabla onto their original instrument. There is people like that and I think what you're pointing out in my story the special thing is that I never did that uh, because I have a very traditional yet very experimental guru. He's very traditional in the way he teaches. He teaches based on the Guru Shishya Parampara, which is the old traditional style of master and student relationship, uh, which has been existing in India for thousands of years. Um, so that's been very traditional. But at the same time, he said to me, look, um, you're 15 years old. That's when I met him. I have kids coming to me when they're three or five years old. Their parents bring them and then I make them into tabla players. I, I teach them and they become top professional tabla players, you know. So you, with the age of 15, you're going to get nowhere. <laughs> um, and he actually said this phrase in public once. He said, I will not allow you to touch the tabla. Because he's very traditional in that sense. He believes that you should play one instrument and, and you should really, you know, go deep. It's also very Indian in the kind of the philosophy of I think a lot of things from India is really about doing one thing but going very deep whether it's yoga spirituality or other art forms and so although I was kind of fascinated I would have loved to play the tabla on the side but it is a very challenging instrument and what it gave me is that it gave me good and bad things of course if I was able to play the tabla I'd be doing certain things with the instrument which could be good um, but because I spent all this time focusing on rhythm and, and understanding rhythm, uh, I, I kind of saved a lot of time, so to speak, and I had to really uh, translate. That's the other thing. I had to really, from the beginning, translate these rhythms. I didn't have a chance of playing it as they were. I could only sing them as they were, and then I had to immediately translate them. And, and that gave me my own sort of aesthetic or my own approach. And in that way, when I come back to the beginning of a question, everybody who goes through a long journey like that will end up having his or her own approach. There is no two people who are doing the same thing. Indeed, yeah. Like, I, I can relate to what you're saying because I play the flute sometimes, the basari, and uh, but I started on a recorder flute um, because I started learning when I was 23. Uh, and so I started learning with, you know, these uh, Western notes. But in my head, because I've learned singing in childhood, it's all Sare Gama Padanisa. So I had to translate everything back and forth. And I think that does make a difference to how I play or how I just function as a flautist. So yeah, that's that's a very interesting point. Um, but how how did you find a difference in training in terms of you know uh, Indian and Western uh, training? Yeah, it's totally. They are like polar opposites. Um, and I was obviously I'm a European human uh, person. I I was born in Austria. Put it that way. Whatever I am, it doesn't matter what I am. I was born here for whatever reason. And I was brought up like that in the, in the Austrian culture in Europe. And then going to India was a total change um, and quite a shock. Yes. But when you are young and when you are crazy, uh, I just wanted to learn everything. There was a time when I wanted to be more Indian. I always say that when I was like 19 or 20, when I was in India for eight months, I was more Indian than many of my colleagues. You know, I used to go to the temple every day in the morning to do a little puja before going to practice a lot of these things um, and that's really important too because you are really trying to get close 
into the culture and to understanding things and to living things. But then, of course, this process is really, you know, it changes all the time. And I think it should change. And you should always adapt yourself, you know, depending on your uh, environment. And at the moment, I'm in a phase where it's really about digestion, you know, what I've learned. And it was also really um, very humbling that my that my guru kind of graduated me, which is which is in a way rare or unexpected that that the guru will tell you, okay, now you you kind of stop learn, you stop coming here to learn. Now you you digest, you you find your own voice, you know, which is kind of throwing the kid out of the house and say, now you find your thing, and and that means when you do that, you will always come back, you know. And I have a so I have a big source of of knowledge, I would say, that I was taught, which is also something my guru would always say. He said, this will last you your whole life. What I'm teaching you now, it will be the, 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 the source of your knowledge for your whole life. You can take from this and forever. And, and it's very true. So now it's really for me, the challenge at the moment is to really keep connected with the source, but find my own jacket in a way, you know, like, I'm still the same person, but the jacket needs to change. The what? It, yeah, I need to culturally sort of mm, include myself here in Europe because I live in Europe. So, so yeah, there is, this is a big process, and it's always going back and forth, and it's challenging, but it's also really fun, and I, I feel very lucky to be able to do that. And as Ashwini said, like she picked up the flute, right? Uh, I have done the same thing. I picked up the ukulele last year, basically. So like when I was 24. So uh, it's very heartwarming to learn that, you know, you can learn instruments at a later age rather than like, as you said in India, like parents bring their children to the teachers very, very early. So then if you don't go there, then you like a lot of people say that you have missed your chance at learning. And but and the way you talk about music right now sounds a lot like religion, you know, the what we call in uh, Hindi uh, Shraddha or Sadhana, which one Ashwini? She's better at Hindi than I am. Which one is it? Well, Shraddha is devotion. And what is Sadhana then? Sadhana, I think, is prayer, I think. Yes. One yes. of those things. Yeah. Yes. Well, Sadhana, so, as far as I understand, it would be it's this process of really imbibing and dedicating yourself but for a long time it's not a it's it's like the long process it's, a, it's a sort of a very deep uh you know involvement in something but also spiritually yeah so when you talk about music i can hear the shraddha and sadhana when so is music a bit like religion for you um well yes but I would also say that religion is life, you know, it's all connected. I mean, there is no religion, there's no spirituality without life for me. Spirituality should be in everything. I mean, it should be the base of, of how you live your life, which means all the interactions, all the reactions, you know, all your attachments to, to your life, basically. It should, that, that, spirit, that should be spiritual for me. And music is, is like that. And I kind of changed or I, I keep changing because I I want to let go of this idea of a music career and and uh, also I do have one you know and it's important and we need to be able to have a sustainable life which means I need to be able to live from my music so there's certain things that need to happen from that but generally I really look at music as as a way of life and and also as a way to express ourselves. So if you talk about spirituality, right, when you pray or when you meditate, it should be a moment for you to connect with yourself, with your deeper self, with who you really are. It's not about achieving certain kind of postures in yoga or whatever. I mean, that's, that's, the, that's the, out, the outer, you know, sort of reflection, but the internal one should be for you to really learn about who you are. And I think music is the same thing. It's, it's a way of really expressing what you feel. That was a really beautiful answer, Bernard. Really beautiful. <laughs> this is why we do a podcast to hear views like this. So back to that awesome metaphor that you had given about, you know, a car engine. 
and the percussion being like the heart of it so as you have experienced a lot of cultures not just indian but we have we know about avenues and you know a lot of the other things you have done so what is the role of percussion in each like you know as a spectrum maybe across the cultures that you have seen like what role does it play with respect to the other instruments with respect to composition this is a big question and i'll try to answer it as concise and eloquent as i can generally i mean percussion is an expression of rhythm percussion instruments are the drums and they're responsible for rhythm of course rhythm is in every instrument but some some instruments have more focus on sur so on on the pitch side of things and the drums are really responsible for the rhythm and the rhythm is a very fundamental way a part of our life you know our body i mean nature is full of rhythm every day the sun rises and sets and the full moon and and the sea every this is all rhythm i mean if, without rhythm we can't exist basically if you put a child on a on a bike they have to find the balance and the balance is about the rhythm of of you know of movement uh, so yeah it's another word movement movement is rhythm and we need movement so we basically need rhythm in our life even though we don't know it and for me i've seen that rhythm creates energy and movement and that energy is really important in our life and especially in culture so um for example many times the percussions the percussion instruments are sort of the energy creator if you look at folk music in india for example if you look at spiritual music and now india is a little bit different i mean every culture is slightly different but you'll also find it in india that the drums create the energy so if you have dol dasha on the street you have the processions for example it's all that it's that spark of energy that just you know enters you and that's what we need to have our festivals and our functions so for example if in africa or in cuba what i experienced was uh the spiritual ceremonies the foundation for that is the drums and the drums sort of create this field of energy magnetic energy that allow everybody to step inside and that connects everybody so the drums make that energy field for everybody to come and to have this shared experience and then of course you have different kind of languages that that cultures use so you have indian drumming is slightly different to african drumming or uh european drumming and there's different techniques which are also related to culture why you play drums in certain ways also related to hierarchy who is allowed to play the drums and which kind of drums and so on but generally i would i would say that the really the the rhythm creates energy and things happen and things happen on that energy and a lot of times it is for the community to be able to come together yeah that's that's lovely uh, i do remember as a kid uh even now when i go back home i can hear these weddings and functions and you know people are dancing on the street to the dhol and it's just um it creates a completely different uh, atmosphere especially one of my favorite memories is ganesh chaturthi i don't know if you uh, had of the chance to yeah and you know the the symbols and the drums it's just something else entirely i i remember i I always feel these emotions very strongly when I'm in that atmosphere. It's beautiful. Uh, Especially with the symbols. Yeah. yeah, 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 Bernard, go ahead. And and I mean I was also thinking of of that of those processions but also if you think about bhajans in India, you know the drums din nadin din and you also have the manjaris and it just creates this path. Yeah. And then maybe the melody is trying, you know, to get really close to something very specific that It's like the melody is trying to describe god let's say but it couldn't do without the drums the drums are are forging the way the path creating the energy to say we can move yeah 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 well as a kid i used to think bhajans are basically clubbing for elderly people <laughs> you still think that i do a little bit yeah but i'm getting elderly now so i get it <laughs> Um so coming to the next question I am a math PhD student and hence this is of particular interest to me uh what are your views on the relation between math and music 
Uh, well, maths is actually, for me, is the foundation of, of many things in life, if not everything. I don't know if I'm qualified to say everything, but I, 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 there's not many things I can think of which are not... You can say it. Fun. I'd be very happy if you say it. <laughs> so, I mean, it, the beauty and the way, I mean, architecture, the use of space, uh, the patterns, the, all the things we, we conceive as beautiful, they all have mathematical structures. And, and music is is full of mathematics. I mean, the way how rhythm works, the way how melody works, it's all mathematics, it's all ratios. It goes back to Pythagoras in, in, in Greece, here in Europe, who was the first one to find out or if you, the bells or they're the double shape or the, that is the pitch. And if you make it half and the string, and if you half the string, you get the octave. And if you half again, you get the fifth and so on. So the pitches. Um, we might think that rhythm is more mathematical than melody because it may be a bit more you know apparent but it's melody is also just full of mathematics and and these proportions that we that that we like you know so if you have like something in divided by half let's say it's something very pleasant for us we can enjoy this but if you have like something which is divided by seven eighths you know or seven, then there's this kind of small proportion, you know, um, and that creates something more tensious with more tension or less harmonious. And in, in, in music, those would be intervals, for example, that, that, are, not, um, that are not considered to be beautiful, you know, uh, or have more tension. So there are also in, in, in Western music, there's this whole history of, of the church. I don't know if you're aware of it, but there was the fifth and the fourth, you know, which are the, the first intervals that were accepted. And then for the third to come in was already a big thing, you know, it's like there was a lot, it took a lot of time for that to be accepted. And then you have the major and the minor third and then other intervals, the seventh, you know, and we have even one interval, which is the tritonus, which is the flat five, um, which is in between the four and the fifth, which was supposed to be the interval of the devil, you know, which you were, you were not allowed to play. I mean, that's for me that's all this is all mathematics and you see how these different proportions sort of how we respond to them um so to answer your question in a nutshell i think maths is everywhere <laughs> yeah yes thank you so much just in as an extension of the previous question i know you've done a collaboration with the ucl math department uh, can you tell us a bit about that Sure. I mean, so first we should say that one fascinating part of Indian rhythm is that it's organized in a really systematic and logical way. And you can actually see the, the mathematical proportions laid out in front of you, much more so than in other traditions. In other traditions, these proportions exist, but that's what I said before, India has this special quality of going really deep and very systematic and logical into into all the areas so you have in india you have the system of different talas and you have the language different languages of rhythm which are the syllables that you can sing so you have it right in front of you and then when you instead of writing down the syllables you start to write down numbers so instead of saying ta i can i can write one taka two takite three and then you end up writing down numbers from a very early stage of your learning and you see how all oh, these numbers, oh, this is 16, seven plus nine. Okay, six plus eight, you know, uh, whatever. It, you, you put it together and it, it becomes very apparent. So I have a fascination for that. I always had a fascination for that. And then, so then I got invited by UCL to participate in a think tank where they wanted to bring together academics and artists. So they put us in a room, they invited several people that, that they knew in London and said, okay, here is a day everybody presents ideas and you can at the end of the day you can pitch a project three three projects will be will be funded uh and so it was a really fascinating day and that's where i met uh, angelica manhart who is a mathematical micro, uh, microbiologist and she works with bacteria uh, that you can only see under the microscope and she studies the behavior of this bacteria whether they come and how they communicate with each other this, these bacteria, they're called mycobacteria, they are the ones that live in the soil. And when it rains, for example, and you go in the forest, you get the smell of rain. This is 
the smell of this bacteria, that's when they go out and hunt. And they, and they release these chemicals. So uh, she, she presented her work where she's studying the behavior of these bacteria and how they communicate with each other. And she, she said the word patterns. She said she's trying to find, identify patterns. And it was like cling in my hand. I was like, okay, these patterns could be rhythms. And this, again, this process of translation that I maybe, I was very lucky to have from an early age that I was really forced to translate rhythms all the time. Um, so then I thought, okay, what if we were to translate those data, those patterns, what would happen? Would we be able to, to, gener to, to generate rhythms? Um, and then I also met David, uh, David Hewitt, who is a colleague of Angelica, who is a researcher in fractals, the structures of fractals, which are really fascinating, which are structures of self-similarities. So it's the, the, you find the structure on each level, you go deeper and deeper, you always find the same structure. Um, so then we developed this project together, which, which was called Scales, which was about finding different scalings and scales. And um, part of the project was to, on the one hand, uh, write a piece of music that would express these, uh, these patterns, let's say. Uh, and the other aspect was to teach to conduct workshops for mathematicians and to bring together mathematicians and musicians to educate mathematicians about music and to educate musicians about maps and then get them together have the piece of music and for people to really experience ah this is how it sounds when you translate something like that um yeah and that that was the project that we that we then covid happened in between but it took us about one and a half years and then we completed it and it's still ongoing. We're actually submitting for a couple of conferences. So the exchange is still going on. That was really interesting. And this whole idea that, you know, there are patterns in the bacteria that, you know, might be rhythm. Mind blown. So now coming back to your experiences in India, I have a question for you. Can you tell us a little bit about Konakal? Konakal is, is a rhythm language, and in India you have many rhythm languages. In the north, you, each instrument has, has a language, a sort of a dialect. Um, and also, for example, dance, Kathak dance has its own language, or almost languages. Um, and they're basically, the origin is that because music wasn't written down, like in, in Europe, so the way to remember the strokes of the drum were to, to sing them. So each stroke has a syllable that is attached to it. So these, these are known as bols. Bols are the syllables, comes from bolna to speak. Um, and then konakal is a language that exists in the south of India, which is very specific to South Indian rhythm. Because North and South Indian rhythm are largely connected, but of, they are also quite different. You know, this will be another, uh, another podcast, but um, there is differences between the two and similarities. Um, and so, so Konakal is basically the language in the South that you recite and then it gets translated to different instruments, to different Carnatic percussion instruments. And because the sort of the focus in the South in, is more on the mathematical structures, I would say, in the North, you have a big focus on the, on the syllables, on the poetry as such. So, which is like, there are these poems, which is, a, which is a sequence of syllables, which is more difficult to translate actually than the mathematical structures, because the mathematical structures, once you understand them, you can put them on any instrument pretty much. You're not so much limited by the actual sound of the syllables. So conical is, is, is an art form that has become very popular now. Uh, and there's a lot of people. And when I talk about Indian rhythm language, I, I use the word conical and maybe some hardcore traditionalists would, would not like it, but it's just, in actually the funny part is in the North, you don't have a word, you say parant, but it's, it's not so tangible, you know? So conical is something that a lot of people know, and this is sort of, a lot of people can imagine what I'm talking about. That was a really informative answer because the last time I asked someone that, they just told me it is Carnatic beatboxing. So I don't know how <laughs> accurate that is. Well, it, that's also true because also the balls parent is, is like uh, 
North Indian, you know, Hindustani beatboxing. It's an expression of the sound of the drum. Okay, so I will. I lost, just lost a bet <laughs> with someone. Uh, I owe someone a tub of ice cream now. That's not good. What did you say? So, what was, What was the bet? Uh, the bet was that uh, I would ask you if it was actually Carnatic beatboxing, and if you kind of agreed, then I would have to give the other person a tub of ice cream. That you know, is... I would agree. To, sorry for you, but I would agree because it's. I mean, it's 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 one way of describing it, you know. But yeah, in a in a quite a non-distinct form, I would say. You know, it's a very crude description, but it kind of works. <laughs> it's not fair. Then again, I shouldn't have made a bet with a musician on music. Yes, that my true. hubris, my hubris got my downfall. Also, but anyway, you have a chance a... to to go for ice cream, which is also good. Uh, no, I don't get to eat it. That's part of the bet. So that's not fair. Oh, that's that's not good. Yeah. So for our listeners, fun fact for our listeners. So when we were talking about rhythms, and we were talking about seven eight rhythms, so there is this. Uh, I don't know if it. Would be called a ghazal, but it's a song by uh, like Farida Khanum is singing it, and then Arjit Singh made a new version a few years back. Aaj jaane ki zidna karo, and that is on seven eight. And this is a fact for our listeners. Please go listen to that song. Okay, now coming back, like I mentioned earlier in the interview. That Sorry, can I just about... say first you need to listen to the Farida Khanum version because it is just beautiful. Uh, or yes. and I'm sorry, Arjit Singh is lovely, but it's not the same. I agree with you, Ashwini. Like the Farida Khanum version has a gravity that Arijit Singh cannot match. Please do not hate. Can, okay. Ashwini, can you please send me the spelling of the the title afterwards in an email, and I'd love to listen to it too. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Music recommendations all around. So, like we were talking about earlier, about like that you've been to different places, and one of those places has been Cuba, and you have a short film on that called Avenue, which is an award-winning short film. Can you tell us a little more about that experience? I was, uh, I lived in London for 15 years, and in 2016 we had this referendum of uh, the Brexit referendum, which was about the U- the, e- the UK leaving Europe, uh, the EU. And it was really frustrating, and it actually went ahead. And so, I was very frustrated, and I said, I need to go around Europe and do something, you know, just just something. So I I came up with a project, uh, which lasted for ten weeks, and I would spend one week in each city, in a different city in Europe. So, Lisbon, Paris, Frankfurt, Vienna, uh, London, of course, Ljubljana, Munich, and so on. And uh, the idea was to collaborate with one musician in each. City to spend a week and also to teach workshops and to develop a whole new concert program and at the end of the week to perform it. And this was a really crazy uh, 10 weeks uh, because it was very intense. You know, every week I jumped into another universe, musical artistic universe. And so then the whole process also got filmed and, and recorded. Each concert got filmed. I always organized a little crew. And so we so we released the Rhythm Diaries, and it's called European Journey, and it has each city, and it's very short. It's like three minutes little diaries. And then the question was, what to do next? I mean, and I wanted to really up my game. I thought this was a fantastic experience. I love collaborating, and really throwing jumping in the cold water like that. And Cuba was one of those places that I always wanted to go. And I know it's a very difficult place in a way to interact because of the embargo, which has been going on forever, you know. And it's culturally really secluded, and uh, there is restriction on internet and all these sort of things. Um, so then I I designed this trip to Cuba, to, and uh, I created the crowdfunding campaign where I said, okay, we're gonna go for five weeks. Uh, we're gonna come back with an album and a film. And I took my friend Sushant Chowdhury, who is a fantastic filmmaker who lives in New York. He's from Punjab originally, uh, who I met in India on on the shoot. And I invited him to be with me. And I said, you know, we're going to go there, you and I. You you will be the fly on the wall, and I'll go there with just a few phone numbers or with nothing basically, and we just see within the course of five weeks, are we able to have meaningful human encounters through rhythm. And are we able to create friendships? Uh, and 
and his 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 job was basically just to film that. Uh, and and of course, Cuba was very fascinating in terms of the visual and the cultural uh, impressions. So, yeah, that that's what we did, and it's a, it's a 29 minute long film. And yes, it's been award winning all over the world, which is very humbling for us because we did it on a really tiny budget, I would say. We did everything in-house. Uh, uh, but the, but it, it's a very personal film, and the, the essence of it is that um, when I go to Cuba, I kind of realize that there is all these fascinating rhythms, you know, fast rhythms, but there's also a very strong spiritual element in rhythm, and the rhythm tradition is called rumba. It's kind of the, the mother rhythm tradition of, of, of Cuba, which comes from Africa, which was brought to Cuba through enslaved people from Africa and the way for them to maintain their culture and to stay alive in this oppression was to practice rumba. Uh, so this is a community which is, which is a spiritual community, which is not a very commercial community that people don't speak English there and it's not very easy to get in touch. Uh, and, and also usually the rumberos, the drummers, they don't go to school or learn English. They, they, they're part of the spiritual community and that's what they do. So soon I kind of realized that this is really what I wanted to connect with. And this was also my connection with India, kind of the spirituality, the different ways of expressing, but trying to, uh, to connect with the spiritual side through rhythm and through music. And then I met a couple of rumberos and I met Ramon who who was somebody who really fascinated me, a very unassuming, shy rumbero, but when he played, it was just, I just, I just got crazy. When I heard him play, I felt that he was so spiritually encrossed in what he was playing and that, that I really wanted to exchange with him. I wanted to get to know him. And then the film is about us meeting and in the end we performed together at the Havana Jazz Festival. And it's about that, yeah, brotherhood that we were able to form without him speaking English and me just with a very, very broken Spanish. So for our listeners, where can we watch this movie? Uh, the best thing is for people to come on my website and, and uh, sign the newsletter form because the film is still going around in festivals at the moment and it will be released later in the year, I think in autumn, and we will actually release it on YouTube or on Vimeo later on in the year. Uh, so if, if people sign up for the newsletter, then they'll be the first ones to know when, when it will be available. Yeah, I would imagine that it, it's going to be a big hit because the idea is so beautiful. It's communicating through the universal language, which is music, and that has to be heart touching. Um, so yeah, that's, that's beautiful. Um, so coming to our next question, you mentioned that you don't, you didn't want to have a musician's career or you want to maybe not have that idea. Um, we wanted to know what a musician's life is like, because, you know, we come from middle class Indian families and uh, you're always told you should try to become an engineer or a doctor. Because Hello, yeah. You, you get the you get money and you'll be financially stable and I have no idea what it's like to well I'm a PhD student so maybe a bit but I don't know what it's like to just live life creating and doing what you want and how is is it a, an economically viable thing to do? Well, first of all, I would say it's a huge privilege to be able to do what you want to do in life any creative you know if you can have a creative of course i love music but it might be different for other people but to have a creative you know like focus in your life and to 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 live your life based on that to eat from that i mean that's a privilege for me um so it's it's really a way of life and uh you know this kind of multicultural experiences that i have you know you you meet people and in music there is less racism there is less xenophobia there is there is elitism in music also but generally it doesn't work you know like when you play with somebody you gotta throw that out of the window it doesn't work for me so so you you meet people who are very open and you can share very deeply you can have beautiful experiences with other people like in cuba you know we never 
I, I think you'll never be able to have that without music, this kind of connection, you know. Uh, uh, so that's a part of your life, which is beautiful. But then of course, as you ask financially, you need to find a system, you need to establish a system for you to, to, to eat at the end of the day and to have a kind of a reliable uh, source of income. And that is maybe where the career, that word career comes in. And every musician has a different plan or a different, you know, like draft of what to, what to do. Um, if you play, of course, more commercially successful projects earn you more money, but sometimes then you, you have less space to be creative sometimes, you know, uh, because you're obviously serving a vision which is commercial or capitalistic sometimes. Um, and and uh, the small avant-garde alternative projects sometimes don't have so much financial backing. Uh, so that's kind of the, the challenge, you know, the, the balancing you kind of need to find. And of course, also when you are doing a creative work, you're always kind of outpouring your in, internal life. And that's also quite difficult sometimes. Again, it's a huge privilege at the same time, but it also, you're exposing yourself and you're kind of relying on this sense of um, award, you know, or let's say, uh, let's say recognition, you know, other people like what you do, but your previous album wasn't that successful or was more successful, but for you, it's just the same. It's just your expression, you know? So to understand, and this is what I maybe meant with the career aspect of it, to understand that and to find your own way in that. It's just a long process. And for me, it is, uh, you know, that I want to be less kind of depending on, on, on these recognitions, but really stay more connected. But this is a note to myself, you know, every, every musician kind of faces that battle uh, and that those, those challenges. And I think as musicians, we are kind of equipped to do that. I mean, that was the thing when, when COVID started, you know, everybody was crying about isolation. I mean, for a lot of musicians, things didn't change that much because we're in our studio just 12 hours a day and we're just working on our own thing and we're, we're putting it out there. And yeah, then when you go on tour, it's super exciting. I mean, just for you, because you asked what the reality is, it's very exciting to be on tour. You have a lot of people, a lot of interactions and people really nice, you know. I mean, sometimes when you come to a new place and there's people welcoming you and promoters and, and, and people who come to the concert audiences. I mean, it's, it's really quite humbling sometimes, you know, how much, how much love you get, you know. And of course, then I'm always putting the other side is that you sit at the airport at 4.30 in the morning and you didn't sleep and you got to do this every day, kind of greyhound, you know, traveling. So it's, you got to combine everything. <laughs> yeah. To be honest, that sounds so much like the life of a PhD student. We spend most of our winters just locked in a room trying to think and get something done. And then in the summer, um, you know, I, I, there's so many days I don't even see the sun because I'm just in the basement trying to work. And then in the summer, you just go to conferences and present your work, which is sort of like a rock show, a little different, but more yeah. or less the same. And it kind of lines in with the life of a UPSC aspirant also because I haven't seen the sun in 12 days, I think. <laughs> Just, you know, the whole staying in and studying and then you go for like this one exam and it's like a... It's not like a rock show. It's 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 like a metal show when every, where everyone is on acid. But that and also is you live in image. Delhi, so you have a lot of fog. <laughs> ah, yes. Delhi has unfortunately become my home now. So now, and also we have... Ashwini is in London. I mean, you know, I'm really I'm the lucky one. I mean, Vienna is the kind of the brightest one of all those three cities at the moment. Yeah, I'm dying for the sun in the winter, and when it's out, I just want to sit and work in a basement. <laughs> it's not the best thing, but that's life. Yeah. So now we are coming to my favorite section. Actually, it would be biased to call it a favorite section but to the section that I want to talk about with the most enthusiasm and that is jazz. So now we are in jazz land. So tell us a little bit about you know your experience with jazz and how do you think it will evolve in the future with the advent of electronic music you know now that everyone's just making stuff on laptops. So how is that going to work out? Well jazz, the term jazz came out of this fusion of 
you know, Af African or let's say Afro-American culture. You know, so you got the African rhythms and the Western uh, and the kind of European melodies. You know, that's kind of that's the nucleus of jazz. And then the so jazz started by off by melodies being played, and then you start to improvise around the melody. You know, in the early days, and then these improvisations became more and more free and more advanced and more sophisticated. Where nowadays, you don't have to play the melody anymore. I mean, you can, but it's the it's the improvisation part that kind of defines jazz. I think, and I think for me, I would like to call myself a jazz musician because I like this idea of improvisation, and also in jazz, for me, it's the most democratic music that I know of, because a lot of traditional music, also they improvise. There's a strong hierarchy. For example, Indian classical music has a very strong hierarchy between the accompanist and the soloist and the different parts that come together. Um, but jazz is really democratic, everybody's contributing, everybody's equal. Because it comes out of that struggle of towards equality, you know, the oppression of, of, of Afro-American people. So for me, that, that's the future of jazz. The future of jazz is, is improvisation and, and equality. And, and any music that has that, for me, again, maybe the jazz police or some purists might, might not be happy with that. But for me, that's, then, then you can call it jazz. Okay, so that is interesting. I mean, improvisation has always been like, you know, like you said, the nucleus of jazz. And, but like I said, that nowadays, a lot of people are making music on laptops. Like, like I'm including myself in that list because I also like make quite a few tracks and put them up on Spotify. Like, and I, I only know theory, okay? I know nothing else. I know like two instruments and I'm still making music. So, do you think that this kind of access that people have to avenues of making music, like what does it mean for music in the future? I think it's brilliant. I mean, maybe what you're doing with your electronic setup, you kind of work intuitively with, with certain tools that you have available. Um, and that's much more direct, actually. Okay, there's a problem, you know, with the education system in Europe, you know, when you sit the child down on the violin, of course, I understand you need to get the basics right, but many times they put a, front of, a piece of paper in front of the kid and say, this is an F, play it. That's so removed, you know? I mean, we should play playing first, and then we should know what it is, for me. And kind of electronic music allows you to do that. You, you can throw stuff together without really knowing what you're doing, and you get a result. Um, and I think that's the empowering part of electronic music. And so I think I think music's anyway getting better. I mean, this kind of fusion uh, is is really you know there is musicians. So maybe if if you talk about my example, you know, like 30 years ago it was much more rare for somebody to have done what I did. Um, and now this is part of my life. So when I play music, all these influences that I had come out. And this happens on many many areas. So. There's a lot of musicians who are growing and who are actually embodying this fusion of different elements, which means that the music gets better because the music is now able to be expressed with these different things. But the different elements are, are not superficial. They are actually really kind of solid within that musician. So my hope for or my perspective on music, is, it's, it's, it's getting better. It's, it is really getting better all the time. We just hope that music also can survive commercially in terms that people are actually willing to pay for music. That's, that's the, I think that's the negative side, you know, nobody, we are being bombarded with music. It's become such a commodity and it's everywhere. And for a lot of people, it doesn't have a lot of value. Uh, and I, that's the part that I'm worried about. Uh, I was just saying every coin has two sides and unfortunately this is a downside to making things let's say more open access or uh yeah it's it's the same thing even with computer programs you know uh, same thing so coming to uh, our next section which is my favorite section is the super question section <laughs> i knew it, it our favorite it's our favorite, Ashwini. Don't take this away from me. We started this together, okay? All right, all right. This is the okay. only question where I might have some objections in, in the post. 
um, so my first question, because I have seen you play live, how many instruments can you play at once all together? Um, I think I can actually answer that because in my new solo show, I have, uh, I have worked on it. It's seven. What? Seven at once? How? Yeah. You have two hands, my friend. You have two hands. And two feet. I have two hands. Yeah. Well, see, I have two feet and each. So I'm doing playing one instrument with the front and one instrument with the back. So, so that and I'm doing that on both feet. So that's four. Then the right hand is just doing one instrument. That's five. Actually, it's eight. I have to be honest. Then the left hand, I'm doing something with my fingers. And I'm doing another instrument with my thumb, so that's seven. And then I'm used to voice, so actually eight. Whoa. <laughs> okay. And here, you know, that my one tiny ukulele takes up both my hands and my entire concentration. And you're just like on eight instruments. Oh, look at me. Look at me. I must say it is magnificent. I have seen it. And well, I've not seen eight. I think I saw five or six. I'm not sure. I was trying to count in the middle of a concert, but it is beautiful. <laughs> and, and where is the show going to be? Like, so is Ashwini going to be able to like see this one in live? Hopefully. Well, I need to get my solo show. It, this is really when I play solo, I have, well, I don't have to, but I really push myself to do more. And, and this is something that I have to bring to London. I don't have a date at the moment. But um, hopefully, it, it will be, it will come at some point, yeah. Nice. Something to look forward to. Okay. okay, so now that we are on the question of instruments, another very stupid question coming up, and this one is mine. I take full credit. If you were a percussion instrument, what would you be? Aye, aye, aye. Well, <laughs> I have to say that I would be a tabla. Ooh, okay. Yeah. I mean, it's the best life, you know, people spend their whole life just worshipping you. I've seen in India, you are like a queen, like, you know, when you're a tabla. I love how you say that queen and not king. <laughs> this is going to be like the line in quotes. You're like a queen when you're a tabla. Perfect line. Perfect. I think that's the title of this podcast. <laughs> yes. Yes, we got the title. We don't have to think three more minutes about the title now. <laughs> okay. So, I'm next. Um, after saying Tal continuously, um, can you rap? And does your jaw hurt while doing this? No. No, it, should, it shouldn't be too hard. You know, if, you, if it's too hard, then, then you're doing something wrong. Okay, because I... Can you rap? Rap? Yes. <laughs> I think I'd be terrible at rapping, but... Um, but, you know, Tal like rap. English rap. Tal rap, of course. Like, this kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that yes, was yes. good. That was good. <laughs> yes, of course. I mean, this is, this, 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 this is my language, you know. I've been doing it for, for 20 years, or 20, more than 20 years, almost 25 years. So, when I it's very natural for me to immediately sing the rhythms mm-hmm. yeah so basically for as long as we have been alive you have been tal rapping that's interesting <laughs> well, if you look I'm at the old. timeline <laughs> i am getting old <laughs> we are also getting old my friend my back don't worry soon okay. you'll be, I'm, I'm 38 soon you'll be 38 it's, it's great there's nothing wrong with it <laughs> i hope so so do you like bollywood music like have you heard quite a bit of it and do you like it I have heard uh, quite a bit of it when I was uh, studying in India in, in in those years, you know, where I spent a lot of time in India. Um, and I, I think it's changed a lot by now because it's, yeah, of course, I mean, early 2000s, I like old songs for you, but I still remember, since this is a stupid question, I can also say a stupid thing. The one track that was big when I was there for the first time, it was like, Where's the party tonight? tonight. On the Where's the party tonight? <laughs> uh, that was a big, that was like the first thing that came on at that time. And it's really funny. Oh. That album has so many beautiful songs. Also, like, there, I don't know if you know this, Bernard, but there's this jazz song that was not that famous. But, like, this is a Bollywood jazz song. It's called Jabhi Cigarette. It's sung by Adnan Sami. And Adnan Sami is like, you know, he's. 
I'm out of words, yes. Ashwini. Supply word, please. Pianist. So I can you understand what you're saying. Well, I got it. Yeah, yeah. He is like you know, like very accomplished musician in yeah. his own right. And this song wasn't that famous, but I discovered it like a few years back. It's from this movie called No Smoking. Jabbi cigarette. Ashwini will send that to you in the email. It was like a jazz bollywood song which you like it's rare for bollywood to have like such a pure jazz song as close as well, it gets you know funnily enough so in in one of one period when i was in india i started to play in a band and the band was called yoga logic and it was about kabir so it was about poems of kabir which were set to pop and folk music and we actually had a meeting with times music in bombay with the record company and they they gave us a record deal or whatever it was you know at the time and so that was my kind of experience with the bollywood world you know when we went into times music the big we had a meeting and the, it was about marketing and so on you know so at that time i was listening to or I, i was much more aware of of bollywood and kind of popular music and i think there's beautiful music out there in india Yeah just to add there is also an album of A.R. Rahman um I can't remember the film's name it's a Tamilian album mm-hmm. and uh, there's a song called Adiye which is completely jazz and it's otherworldly um it's just very beautiful he's combined a lot of different elements A.R. Rahman is a maestro of we course. know this I'm is a maestro it's so beautiful and I remember one album which was called Tal Oh, film tal yeah. oh, by yeah, and the Ranjit Bharat and that was beautiful that was kind of a, a very big big album at the time when i was there yeah 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 it's um evergreen <laughs> yeah um okay so my question here. and okay Sorry, you, go okay, ahead sanchi stone paper scissors or okay no you go ahead no <laughs> i i'll do it okay so uh, what's your favorite nina simone song oh my god I have to admit to my to my uh, eternal regret I don't know I I I never got into Nina Simone so I never started listening to her or not yet put it that way not yet so what who's your favorite jazz musician like you know I'm looking for recommendations basically ja- the favorite well favorite one I mean there's so many favorite alive or in general like you know like something that you'd recommend to someone who's not into jazz yet like how do you get them to listen you know like what would you start them off with well miles jazz davis of course miles, miles davis, davis and the album i would start off with is called kind of blue kind of blue. it's from 1958 i think or from 1959 and it's a really it's an evergreen it's really beautiful i listen Without yeah, I mean have you listened to it Sanchi have you heard it No I haven't actually like I got into jazz through like you know Nina Simone Louis Armstrong yeah. and I'm just so into it right now because the way she scats is unbelievable you cannot imitate it you have to you know either be very practiced or very talented to be able to sing like that you know to have that melody in your voice without moving it much because as we as indians as we understand melody it's like that sare gama padanisa and like you know that change that shift but for some reason she has that melody in her voice like she'll just be like birds flying high and it'll sound good it won't sound good when either of us do it but when she does it it sounds amazing that's just yeah. wonderful by either of us sanji meant me or yeah yeah not not you you're good you're good you're good you're good, you're good. No, that was nice i like that either of us i think that definitely <laughs> um, no no that was just me and ashwini okay so my question next and this is a really stupid question but i know you have an ma in music uh, so what exactly do you do in the degree in the degree um well it's kind of an extension of the bachelor's degree so you go deeper in certain subjects and you also have to write a master's thesis and in fact my master's thesis was about indian rhythm about mathematical structures it is called the secret calculations uh which is a lot about about ancient structures uh in carnatic rhythm and i i kind of deciphered i mean i explained them for western musicians i i, I tried to to create a sort of an entrance for western musicians to understand it that was kind of my focus on on the on the master's degree and i've been thinking a lot about doing a phd and i was 
I have decided to put it off for now, but I'm very close. I'm, I'm definitely going to do it at some point, and that would also be about rhythm, of course. It's been so wonderful to talk to you, Vanard, about this whole thing, and it's been eye-opening in so many different ways. And we, and I got a new musician to listen to now, so uh, we really enjoyed having you with us. And thank you so much for coming. Like we are. Hey, absolutely it's a pleasure. It's a real pleasure to talk to you and to meet you finally. And your questions, the stupid questions section needs to get more stupid. It wasn't very stupid. <laughs> okay. I'm sorry. Okay. We we'll tried to be, get better at being stupid. Maybe for a maybe for a mathematician PhD person, that's really stupid. But for me, they were quite reasonable. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Bernard. No, it's been really great, and I was personally looking forward to this so much, um, especially since I saw you play twice. The first time I saw you was at uh, Adnan Jubran's show. Um, and then I just, I was, because I saw you playing so many different instruments, um, I was bedazzled, let's say. And then uh, I saw you at um, Shaw McDatta's show. Uh, and, you know, I'm, I'm very nervous when it comes to going, talk, going and talking to uh, people in general. But my friend Bishal, he just egged me on. He said, you can do this. So Yes, and it was good. It, it's great. You should do it more. <laughs> yeah, and this is the fruit of that. So I'm, I'm very happy and very proud of myself. And yeah, this was lovely. Uh, well, I'm very you. happy to have met you here. And we should definitely meet in person in London again at some point. Yes, definitely. How long are you going to stay? Uh, in London or? I should be here at least till next year. Hopefully. <laughs> and where are you from originally? India. I'm from Mumbai. From Mumbai. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. So thank you very much. Lovely to have you. Great. And now before we go, I don't know if you need to do a signation for the end or something, but we have three minutes and I want you to tell me about your research, you know, in that time. Uh, I would love. So I, well. Switch off recording, Ashwini. Switch off recording. Okay.